Good morning, church. Good to see each and every one of you here this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Marvin, one of the pastors here, and it is my joy to welcome you to service. Um, today we're back in our series, in our series in uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 4. We've been talking about being anxious for nothing. Now, uh, to really hammer the point in and to do an exercise in anxiety, um, how many of you memorized your scripture? All right, we got quite a few. Okay. Anybody want to take, take a, or bold enough to come up here and, and do it with us? You want, you want to do it from there? Do I have to hold the mic? I, I, <laughs> all right, Leah will hold the mic for you. <laughs> you got this, Carrie. I might have to transitional words. That's all right. We got you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your <laughs> let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, take your request to God, and the peace of Christ will be with in your hearts, will guard your hearts and minds. Finally, brothers. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think on these things. And whatever you have received from me, learned from me, heard from me, and seen in me, practice these things. And, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Awesome. That's, that's incredible. Great job, Carrie. Yes, I have a gift for you. <laughs> Thank you, Valentina. It's in my heart, and my girls are learning parts of that. There you go. Love that's it. All that I need. Love it. It's such, a, such an opportunity and such a, uh, a privilege for us to be able to come and partake of the word this way. And I'm so thankful for each and every one of you, especially those of you who took some time to, to study this scripture and to memorize it. It is always a blessing to be able to do that. And I can guarantee you, as you do that, God starts working. God starts reminding you of the good things that he has done in your life. Well, this morning, um, I have a quick question for you as we begin. What's a song... <clears throat> What's a song that's stuck in your head right now? I heard, I heard Brady Bunch theme song. Brady Bunch theme song. Wow. It's taking us back. Whoa. Any other songs that's stuck in your head? It's an earworm. You can't get it out no matter you're waking up uh, singing it or you're humming it. You're going to sleep and it's still on your mind. Any other songs? The Greatest Showman, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I'll tell you this, at the Thomas household, we love music. Um, Jen and I, whenever we get a chance, we'll go to the Boston Symphony, or when we travel, we'll try to catch a, a show, or we'll catch a musical, whatever is available, and we love music, and so, so often, uh, maybe as you're thinking about music, for me, uh, whenever I hear a song, 
or when I, when I hear something that, that I've heard in the past, it has an effect on me. It takes me, it transports me to this memory that I have. It's attached so often to, to things that I've done or people that I was with. And, and so often music has a way of doing that, especially for children. Children have a way, that's how it's very formational for children. Now, like I said, in the Thomas household, music is a big part of our lives, um, especially for our son. Not so much for, it's not such a great experience for us, and here's why. There's a show on, on Hulu that my son loves, and the whole premise behind this show is there's a grown man who runs around town acting like a toddler. He goes to the playgrounds, he climbs up on fire trucks, he jumps, in the, he jumps in the water, he does all of these things while talking like a toddler, doing all of the things. And so if any one of you knows Blippi, how many of you can relate to me right now? Yep, there are a few. And if you know Blippi, you know the pain that comes with it. Because here's Blippi. He will go, he'll do all of these incredible things. He'll see a fire truck and he'll, he has no concept of music, no, no, no rhythm, nothing. But he'll sing a song about it and Judah is all about the blippy songs. So we'll be driving down from home, we're coming into school, and we pass, the, we pass the fire station, and immediately, it is clockwork, I hear from the back, Dada, can you put on the fire truck song? Or an ambulance zooms by, and he goes, there's an ambulance, it's like a hospital inside, can you put on the hospital, uh, the... and it is nonstop. But for me now, the unintended consequence of that is I wake up singing the garbage truck song. I go to sleep singing. I want to ride on a fire truck. That's, it's just, it's stuck. It's in there. Songs have a way of doing, a way of doing that for, uh, to us. Sometimes when a song plays enough or when you've played it a few times, it suddenly makes it on a, on a playlist. Some of you, for you, some of you have favorite songs that you've played over and over, and it's, it's part of your identity, right? It's part of the soundtrack of your life. It's who you are. Now, soundtracks are interesting because just like music, we have a soundtrack in our minds, just like the song that's, that you sing, just like the song that's stuck in your, in your mind right now, sometimes thoughts act the same way. There's a thought that's been stuck in your mind for a long time. There's a, there's a concept or something that you've been thinking over, you've been dreaming about, you've been mulling over. Those are things in your mind. Those are exciting things, things that you want to accomplish in your future. Those, that's in your mind. And, you, and it's kind of like the, so, the soundtrack that you have. These are the things that I want to accomplish, and you're thinking about it, you're preparing for it. Maybe you have those. Or maybe you're like some of us who our, song, our soundtrack says... Do you know who you are? Do you know the things you've done? Do you know what you said to that person? Do you know how you hurt your relationship? Do you know, do you know how bad a sinner you are? Could anyone love you? Have you ever had that sort of a soundtrack in your mind as well? Sometimes these thoughts that constantly remind you of the things that you're not. 
David Goggins, is, he's a Navy SEAL and, a, and an incredible motivational speaker, but also has an incredible journey. And if you ever get a chance to read his book, Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds, definitely do go pick it up. But he's been instrumental in my formation as well. This is one thing that he says. The most important conversations you'll ever have are the ones you'll have with yourself. You wake up with them. You walk around with them. You go to bed with them, and even eventually, you act on them, whether they be good or bad. Essentially, what David is saying here is, you are what you think about. You are what you think about. You've often heard that your thoughts eventually get translated into actions. And when, you, when you've done an action long enough or repeatedly enough, they become habits. And habits form character, and character informs your destiny. All that starting with that little action in your mind, a thought that forms. Sometimes when the soundtracks in our lives are positive, we often accomplish positive things. We accomplish things that we had dreamed about. We, we, we encourage people. We are joyful to be around. That's the soundtrack of our lives. But when it's negative, you know the effect. Sometimes all you see is negativity around you. All you, you have a pessimistic view of the world. You, you see things that go wrong more often than you see things go right. And that's just the way we are. That's how we are built. You see, when this happens, so often for us, especially for those of you who are inclined this way, when the bad thoughts start coming in, when the thoughts that say you're not enough, when the thoughts that say you're broken, when the thoughts that say nothing's going to work out, when the thoughts that say you're lonely, when the thoughts that say I have nobody around me, I have no one in my corner, all of these thoughts come in when the chaos sets in in the world around us, what happens is we often fall into a pit of anxiety. And we've been talking about anxiety over these last few weeks and the effects that it has on us as people, on the effects that it has on us as, as, as a church and as, as a nation. It's, it's detrimental. More often than not, in, in a situation like that, what we are longing for, what we want, is a switch that we can quickly flip on or flip off and say when we flip it off, anxiety is gone. Well, we so often come into the Lord's presence and we pray, God, here's my anxiety, here's what I'm worried about. What we were hoping for is that prayer that flips the switch and says, it's been taken care of. How do you handle your anxiety? How do you handle when the thoughts in your mind are swirling? And how do you handle when the things that are, when the devil and the enemy is speaking into your life and he's reminding you of all the things that have gone wrong? He's reminding you of all the things that you will never measure up to. He's reminding of the bad things that were spoken into your life. And, and all of these things, when those things come in and when they flood your thoughts, how do you and I handle that? Anxiety for a lot of us, it's, it becomes a habit. So often we live in it, we wallow in it, we walk in it. We, instead of finding ways to overcome it, we live with it. We just settle in. 
In his book, Finding Quiet by J.P. Moreland, J.P. Moreland is a phenomenal theologian and a wonderful author. If you haven't picked up one of his books, I highly recommend it. Finding Quiet is a, is a great one. He makes this point that when it comes to dealing with anxiety, so often we as Christians, we don't realize the strength that we have, the victory that we have, the power that we have to be able to overcome our anxieties. He says you can live in freedom. You can live in, in, in victory over your, uh, over your anxiety, but there is some work that needs to be done. You see, he, he goes into it more scientifically, and he talks about the brain, and he talks about, he, he, he says, here's how the brain works. See, the brain works in a way where it, as you think about some things and as you consider some things and as you do them over and over, what, it hap- what happens is it starts forming connections. It starts forming grooves in your brain. And what happens is, if you, if you can imagine with me, let's say you're out on a walk, you're out on a trek in the forest, and you see a trail there. Now consider with me, where did that trail come from? It most likely happened this way. One person started walking down that way, another person started walking down that way, and eventually as enough people started walking down that way, whatever grass that was on the, on the ground there, whatever vegetation was on the ground there, was trampled upon enough that eventually it just gone, went barren. And now a trail, a path was formed. It's very similar to how our brains work when you think a certain thought long enough, when you think it over and over, when you do a certain action long enough, what you're creating is this pathway, what you're creating is this groove in your brain. And so what happens for a lot of us, it's easy to stay in the groove. It's a lot of hard work to step out of it. But what J.P. Moreland is saying is it is possible for you and I in the victory that we have in Christ, in the power that is available to us, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that resides in you, he reminds us. And he's saying with that power, you have the ability to get out of your groove. There's a concept in neuroscience called uh, neuroplasticity. And here's what it means. It simply means that the grooves that you have are not permanent. You can form new ones. And when this trail that you've been walking on, people suddenly stop walking on them, what happens? Give it a month or two and vegetation comes back. It's no longer a trail. What he's saying is you, can, you have the ability, you have the power through the Holy Spirit to be able to step out of your groove and start forming new ones. In the place where you've been thinking, I'm not enough, you start thinking, through Christ, I can do all things. In the place where you think, I am broken, he says, you are redeemed. In the place where you think, I am unlovable, he reminds you that you are loved. You start walking in the channel that God has for you. And you start forming these new grooves, like muscle memory, like going to the gym, like like working out. You start building your brain up as well. You see, being not anxious, not anxious, isn't something that happens in this, with the snap of a finger. It takes work. A moment ago, I showed you the picture of that switch. So often, here's what we want to do. When we're anxious, when we're dealing with the pain, when we're dealing with the chaos, what we want to do is say, God, 
here it is. I lay it at your feet. Now flip the switch and everything's okay. But the way God works instead of the switch is with a dial. Now, if you know the concept of a dial, how does a dial work? A dial, you turn little by little, little by little, little by little. And on this image, there are two dials. I put an image with two dials on them. Because here's what's happening, what Paul is calling for in the scripture that we're about to read. Here's what's happening. See, one dial is dialing down, and one dial is dialing up. The things that the enemy's telling you. The things that you're reminding yourself of the brokenness and the pain and all the chaos and how, uh, the impossibilities and all of the things that will not work. He's reminding you, start dialing it back down. But when you do that, what you have to do is occupy it with something else. And he's saying, start dialing up what you need to think about. The things that, you ought, that ought to remind you of who you are in Christ. The things that ought to remind you of the power that, is, that resides within you. The things that ought to remind you of the abilities that you have through Christ Jesus. Two dials. Now, when we, when we face anxiety, we often get great advice and sometimes not so great advice. All you have to do is just do a quick Google search, and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find advice that says, you are stronger than, it is, than whatever your trial is. You have it in you. Just, just search, and you can get it. Just put your effort, and you can do it. There is so much. Just write your anxieties down and watch it, fly, watch, watch it melt away. Write, do this, and do that. And so often, that's great. It's, it's helpful as an exercise. But here's what, it, what's, what the reality is. In doing that, as we look inward, what we often find is that we fall short. And before long, we're right back in that groove. We're right back in that rut. We're right back in that anxiety. Paul has a solution for us. And that's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Before we get there, here's, let me quickly remind us of where we've been. A few weeks ago when we started it, we started with this. When you are anxious about the things that you don't know, when you're anxious about what's unknown, celebrate what you know about God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then we said, the next week we said, let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be known to everyone because the Lord is, at, the Lord is near. He is at hand. And then last week we talked about in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request made known to God. And he says, lay it at the feet of Jesus. Lay it in God's presence and don't take it back. This week, we're going to talk quickly about thinking about what we think about. Thinking about what we think about. And next week, we're going to close out the series with a simple practice, these things. So let's read this scripture together, or uh, I'll read it out. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. But you see, before we dive into this, we do need some context. Because in verse 7, this is what verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
And the verse after verse 8 in verse 9, this is what it says. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the, peace, and the God of peace will be with you. What you essentially have, what Paul is creating is this peace sandwich. He's saying the peace of God will be with you, the peace that surpasses all, under, all understanding. When you're in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your chaos, a peace will settle in on you like you've never known before. And he's saying, even as you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. But in the middle of that, in the middle of the peace of God and the God of peace, there are a couple of things that we ought to do. See, it's a partnership that he's looking for. It's a relationship that he's looking for. It's not something that is one-sided. And so he's saying, think upon these things and practice these things. There is two responsibilities that we have as a child of the Almighty, as a child of God, as a, a, a Christ follower. He's saying, think and do. Now here, Paul's giving us six qualities, and I want to quickly touch on these, and then we can, we, we, we can move on. Here's what he's saying. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, think about that. See, one of the greatest mistakes we can make is assuming that our thoughts are true. We assume that our thoughts are true. Just because it resides in here, it's valid. And given all the evidence, and we've done some pretty foolish things, we've, we've encountered so many times where things have gone wrong when we trusted our own advice. And yet, we constantly pay attention. We mark it as truth. Let's say tomorrow you, you have a doctor's appointment. You've done some tests, and, and you get to the doctor's appointment, and you're sitting in his office, and he comes up to you, and he says, got some bad news. And he tells you exactly what it is. What most people will do in that situation is instead of saying, all right, this is my lot in life, They'll go out and seek a second opinion. They want to make sure that this thing that's going to change their lives, that's going to alter their paths, that's going to affect their, their dreams and their desires, that's going to impact their families, is actually the thing that it is. That there is some truth behind it, there's some validity, that it is valid, that it is worth the concern and the, and the effort. And so what they'll do is go and ask a second doctor or maybe even a third doctor. So if we're likely to do that with our physical bodies, the advice here is to do that even with your thoughts. Because so often, here's what our thoughts will sit us down and say, here's, let me, let me tell you something, here's where you are. This is, I have some news for you. This is who you are. Paul's saying, get a second opinion. Because what's likely, more likely than not is whatever your brain's telling you, it's false. Because here's how our anxieties works. Our anxieties feed off of two words, what if. Right? What if. What if today I walk out and I get into a wreck? What if my child becomes sick tomorrow? What if I go out and something happens? What if, what if, what if? We're constantly battling the what-ifs, and that creates anxiety. It's this perceived, uh, this fear of something perceived. It's not valid. 
Over these last few weeks, we've been talking about the, the percentages and of actual the anxieties that actually materialize, and we've realized it's very low. The things that we often fear, the things that we often consider big things are not so much. And yet we give our, tr- our thoughts so much power over ourselves. See, we fall into one of two categories. Either we let our thoughts and what we think about ourselves have too much power over us, or we fall into the other extreme where we don't think about what we think about. Anything, it's a, it's, it's a freeway in there. Anyone's allowed to come. Anyone's allowed to land. Anyone's, everything and everything goes, anything and everything goes in. Whatever media we consume, whatever people, the people that we talk to, it's all in there. Paul is saying, consider what you consider. Think about what you think about. What you're thinking about, is it true? Second, he's saying, think about whatever is honorable or noble, whatever is majestic, whatever is awe-inspiring, whatever God is. Think about those things. His majesty, his, his creation, his work in you and me, in the transformation that has occurred. Think about these things. Whatever is honorable, whatever is noble, think about them. Third, think on what is just, what is right. Just is a legal term here that he's using, describing what is right under the law. He's saying, think about what is just and think about how justice can be performed. Along with that, he's saying, think about what is pure. Think about the things that are clean. Avoid the things that that bring filth and avoid the things that bring lust and avoid the things that that distract you from being a child, a, a, a Christ follower, that distract you from your mission, that distract you from your marriage, that distract you from your, uh, your work. Avoid these things. He's saying, think upon the things that are holy and pure. In a culture where we're so drawn to whatever is convenient, and we ignore what is right. In a culture where we're drawn to whatever is most expedient, and we ignore what is supposed to be true. Paul is saying, do the opposite. Think about what is pure. Whatever things are lovely, where is God's love shown? In other words, be the opposite of whatever the world is doing right now. In the world, conflict is easy. Friction is easy. Animosity is easy. All of these things, it's easy to live that way. Paul's saying, do the hard work and think about what is lovely. And essentially, he's saying, do this. When you're anxious about what is unknown, think ungodly things. When you're anxious about what is unknown, think on godly things. Here he gives us a list of all of the things that, that ought to be on our thoughts, on our minds at all times. But here's, what's, here's, what's Paul, here's Paul's dilemma. He could go on and on and on and on and describe all these different categories of thought, and instead he does this. He wraps it all up in, in, a, in a quick, neat little package, and he says, 
whatever is excellent and whatever, whatever is worthy of praise. Excellence comes from God. Worthy of praise is what, how he looks at you and how you live. He's saying if it meets those two categories, think about these things. Everything else will fit into this. Whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise. Live your life based on that. Focus on that. Keep your minds and your, and your hearts bonded to that. When you're anxious about the unknown, don't just focus on being positive and, be, and the, the, the advice that the world gives. Just try harder. Just do it. Just, you can do it. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he's saying, take your focus off of what you can do or what you cannot do and focus on what Christ has already done. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And as we do this, our solution to anxiety is pretty simple. It's hard to accomplish. It's, it takes a lot of work, but it's simple. Paul says, cast your cares upon the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Think about these things. Practice these things. Let him have it. Let him work in you. Let him work through you. You do the work. Do these things. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will dwell in your hearts. The peace of God, the God of peace will keep you forever. That's Paul's promise to you. As we come to a close here, let's pull out our, the elements for communion. And as we do that, as the worship team sets up and as we get ready to worship, let's, pair, let's turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How would you rate your heart this morning? How would you rate your, your mind this morning? Where are, what's that thought stuck in your head? The author of the book of Hebrews reminds us, consider Jesus. In the moment where your mind is drawn to that, consider Jesus. Jesus, before he went on the cross, he had his last supper with his disciples. And in that supper, he took, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. Think of me. Consider me. Consider the work that I am about to do. Consider the salvation that you're about to receive through the work that's going to happen on this cross. Remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take of the bread together. And as you do, remember that Jesus 
Remember Jesus who made it all possible. Let's take up the bread together. And after he had done that, he took out the cup and he passed it out and he said, drink of this juice and this wine. And as you do, be reminded that this is, this is my blood, my blood that will be shed on the cross for you. Think about this blood. Think about me as you drink of this cup. Remember the work that was done on the cross. You see, that blood was shed for you and I. That blood was shed for our sins. That blood was shed for our redemption. That blood was shed that even in our, in our weaknesses, he is made strong, that he, it, he overcomes it all. He redeems, it, redeems us from it. So as you take of this cup, take a moment to consider your own sin, consider your own failings, and consider your own shortcomings. And let the Lord be made strong in it all. Think about Jesus. Think on these things. Let's take of the cup together. Father, we thank you for this morning that we were able to consider your word. We're able to consider what we consider. Think about what we think about. Lord, help us as we go into this week. Lord, help us as we meditate on your word. Help us as we focus on what we ought to focus upon. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to form new grooves, to form new channels, to form new connections, Lord, and to step out of our old rut, to escape the pit of despair, to escape the pit of anxiety. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would do your work as only you do. Father, I thank you for your reminder through through this communion cup and, and bread of the work that was done on the cross for us. Lord, I pray your grace over each of us. Keep us. In Jesus' name.